It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 424 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week I have great fun talking with Brian Wickman about his upcoming comic, Grit. It's described as Southern Fried Sword and Sorcery and Pulp Fantasy Adventure in the Mold of the Witcher by Way of Southern Bastards. We talk about the main character, Barrow, and the environment he lives in and a doomsday cult he's going to run into. Barrow carries an axe for good reason. There are trolls he needs to deal with, apparently. We talk about how this story came to be, as well as other characters that are coming in the rest of the three-issue miniseries. To make sure you get grit, you need to get to your local comic shop before March 18 and order MAR202088. Then we also discuss Big White, his first comic, which you can access on his personal website. It's a sci-fi horror story that I really enjoyed and really surprised me, so you won't want to miss it. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the podcast, Brian Wickman, creator of Big White and a book that's coming out from Scout Comics before long called Grit. How you doing, Brian? Hey, Wayne. Doing great. Having a good night here. It's good to talk with you. Why don't we dive right in because Grit's the big thing we need to talk about. And we'll get to Big White a little later. But um, why don't you tell people what Grit is about? Grit is a southern fried sword and sorcery story. Uh, I've pitched it as kind of being like the Alabama of Middle Earth. So it's about an aging monster hunter who's not super keen on his job and is uh, especially not so when he's forced to face some unintended consequences when a job goes uh, pretty pretty sour. How many issues are in Grit? It'll be a three-issue miniseries. Okay, so that'll be good something to do. Now, the reason why we're doing this right up front is because... You've only got a little while left to put your order in at the comic shop. This is coming in in May, as I understand it, Brian. Yep, looking at middle of May. Yeah, so what you need to do is get to your comic shop and let them know you want Grit, because I think it's going to be a real interesting story. I got a chance to read the first issue, which will be out in May, and I think you're going to really enjoy it, because it's a very unique story. There's lots of action. One of the things I really enjoyed about it, I'd give your artist a chance to do some good stuff, too, which yeah. I think is super cool. Now... Talk about the main character. Who's the main guy that the story centers around? Sure. So the main character is an older gentleman named Barrow. Uh, like you said, the first issue is pretty uh, frenetic in pace. There's a whole lot of action in there. And that's sort of intentional to set up uh, a little deeper look into why he does what he does in the second and third issues. But yeah, so he's he's been at it a long time. He's sort of a, a sword for hire, uh, something of a fantasy exterminator. And... Um, uh, just an all-around curmudgeonly fella, <laughs> so which which leads to a lot of sort of silliness because it's a very over-the-top fantasy world with a sort of grounded main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, talk a little bit about the 
I have to say, and I don't want to spoil stuff, but the first thing that happens right out of the gate is something I didn't expect, let's just say. Um, there's, there's a troll problem is what people, somebody's having. Yeah, yeah. And talk about that. I mean, what do the trolls have to do with this story? Sure. So I, Kevin and I bounced a lot of ideas around, and a lot of the things in the series were born out of these really subtle subversions of like classic fantasy folklore tropes. And one of the things we wanted to do, you know, the, the troll problem is it's a classic thing. It goes back to like the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and all that. Mm-hmm. And we, we wanted to play with that. And again, I don't want to, it, it's sort of a, a gag right off the bat with what the troll problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we just found an interesting way to work with not only the sort of weird time crunch that goes along with, dealing with a creature that turns to stone in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what's a funny way that we can approach being hired to hunt trolls. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is a gag right off the bat that sort of spirals out of control pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Now the yeah. thing I got a kick off was there's the, the phrase, as soon as you get to page one, there's a phrase on it and it's, it says just South of civilization. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that phrase because right, and of course, what we see. Let's say the troll uh, performs a bodily function that you don't often see in in comics. Heck, you don't often see on television. Uh, <laughs> they always used to joke about the fact the Enterprise never had a, a bathroom in it. Right, and okay, so we see yeah. something that what happened in the bathrooms starts at the very beginning, which of course lets you know this is not going to be a highbrow. Kind of story. I guess we're not going to see that very much. Yeah, I, well, I, I've I've always loved fantasy that sort of doesn't take itself too seriously, and I wanted to establish that very early on, mm-hmm. um, especially because, like you said, this issue in particular is so action heavy that I sort of needed a laugh out of the gate mm-hmm. to even that out. Mm-hmm. Now, talk to me about how the trolls relate to the humans, because it looks to me like when when they discover a troll, a troll seems to be larger than a human being is yeah <laughs> so um i approach them as sort of these lumbering creatures and and there's a lot of sort of fantasy nonsense scattered in there we we have a run-in with some goblins in the in issue one that are a little more sort of mischievous critters that kind of gang up but uh yeah it's so the trolls are being used for a purpose, mm-hmm. and we that's the kind of thing that I, I dig into later in the series is just sort of the relationship between, you know, groups of people. I mean, I, I say right in the solicitation, there's, there's a sort of doomsday cult at the heart of this story mm-hmm. who um, aren't very good at what they do and sort of accidentally get things right, and then it doesn't go so well for them. I, I'm really intrigued by the idea of, like, so you want the world to end, but but why and what happens next? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this sort of bumbling cult who are using these you know fantasy creatures to a certain end that I I don't want to spoil because that's sort of you know things hinge on that. But um, yeah, I, I just I'm really intrigued by this sort of like. I always think it's heavy-handed to say, well, that monster had a family. Isn't it sad that it's been killed? But I think I approach that from sort of a fun... I, I like to poke that idea from a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the weapons that uh, Barrow uses? I think he's, he's largely knives and axes, it looks like. 
Yeah, so he he, he carries uh, sort of a a hatchet and a, a machete. I like to give him sort of a working man's weapons. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's very fond of his axe. He, he talks to it at one point. <laughs> now, he has the problem that I always thought the Black Knight had in Marvel. The Black Knight had a sword, and they saddled him with this notion that he can't use the sword, or if he does, bad things happen to him. Now, Barrow doesn't have that problem. No, not remotely. Uh, <laughs> Let's just say uh, that, that, that he uses his tools a lot, especially does. in the in the first issue. And we get to see pieces of trolls that I didn't really expect I would see, shall no. we say. So right. it's, it's very, very creative. Used to, I have to ask, of course, when you wrote this, did you come up with the sequences as they were going to happen? Did your artist develop that? Did you do it together? How did you <laughs> – because so, action, yeah. Yeah, action in comics is something – because, you know, it's, it's, it's like on a television. They, they have to plan out all the, the sequences that are going to happen. First, you're going to punch this person. The person's going to punch you back. You have to plan out these things. Did you guys plan this all out? Did you come up with it? Did the artist do it? How'd you get that to, to happen? Yeah, so there there are a handful of pretty action-heavy pages in this first issue. And um, depending on what needed to get done on the page, I would leave notes. But Kevin and I have a really good – Kevin Castanero is the artist on the book. He's brilliant. A ton of energy in every page he does. Um, he – you know, I, I really trust artists that I work with to be better at the visual aspect of this creation than I am. So that's a, a note that I give everyone early on is if, if you disagree with the choice that I made in the script, you should do what you think is going to you know read best on the page. Mm-hmm. So there's there's one page in particular that where I think Kevin sort of channels a, a Jeff Darrow Shaolin c- cowboy kind of brutality um and i think i only wrote one of the panels on that i said well i need this to be the last panel but for the rest of it you know what go wild and you know he sent me a lot of thumbnails and we went back and forth a little bit but you know he knocked it out of the park because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know action in see this is where i think this book would just be ideal for like a uh, netflix kind of series or something this even an animated kind of a thing, even though it's a little grittier than than a lot of and a lot of animation tends to be very sterile and clean, mm. and you know you don't get a lot of of, of this kind of axe wielding that we get in this book. So this is kind of a little. If you're not ready for it, it might be a little startling to start off with. So I, why start out this way? Why, why have all these good things happening like this? Is there something you're trying to accomplish as far as the story goes? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I would say that, it, again, it's a pretty condensed miniseries at three issues, and each one is a very uh, – it's very tonally distinct from the other issues. So issue one reads like a pretty straightforward, you know, old-school pulp fantasy adventure with maybe a couple couple gags thrown in that you wouldn't find in a Conan book. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I really start to push that in different directions with issues two and three where – Issue two, I, I, I've said a couple of places, it's kind of, it really pushes the humor in this and really examines just how over the top the sort of chaotic, constant violence in issue one is. Because it introduces another character who is this sort of um, hot-tempered young witch who takes offense to this sort of brutality. Um, and 
she has a really interesting relationship with pacifism in that she is aggressively pacifistic. Mm -hmm. So when she sort of butts heads with Barrow in issue two, that's where we start to sort of pick apart the action that dominated issue one. Mm -hmm. And then issue three, just, I, you know, (laughs) we'll get there when we get there, but that it goes in some wacky directions from there. Mm -hmm. I would say the pace sort of, slows down in the back two thirds of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it becomes a little more introspective and, and really pulls out just how over the top, you know, these sort of pulp heroes can be your, your Conan's and your Fafford and gray mouse are all this sort of senseless violence is, you know, Kevin has a very exaggerated style where I, I feel like it, it pushes more cartoony than, grotesque mm-hmm. even when there's you know extensive gore like it's still kind of fun to look at mm-hmm. um, and which I, I didn't want to beat anyone over the head for enjoying that part of the story because you know it, it's it's fun to cut up monsters with a sword you know mm-hmm. um, but i do want to sort of ask the question of like well maybe there's a better way to solve that problem than hacking it to pieces well one of the things i enjoyed about the art was the use of motion uh you know so often you'll have like an arm and you have lines after it showing you that the arm has moved. That's not the way he does this stuff. Oftentimes there's a blur. That, yeah. In other words, this is so fast, you can't even see how fast he's moving. One of the fun things that Kevin does is, uh, in in particularly chaotic panels, he'll, he'll leave more of his pencils in beneath the ink, so you get this sort of almost, you know sketchy looking finished art once the colors go over that which i think really lends to that sort of frantic action Mm -hmm. which is really cool i it is something interesting the 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 good thing about this was i don't you know i i'm not much for a lot of of violence in the darkest sense of the word but Mm -hmm. this stuff goes so fast and you, you 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 see so much going on that you kind of have to pay attention to to get the story as to what what in the world now is happening. Like I said, there's times when there's just blurs of motion. You have to look and say, what is that? What's going on? Yeah. Which I like, and it, that propels the story along quite nicely. And the, and the good news is, let's just say that the bad guys don't necessarily know what's going to happen next. No. <laughs> yeah. That. I mean, that's that's I. What I'm getting at with this sort of bumbling doomsday cult is even they're not sure what their end game is, <laughs> which I think is a funny way to approach that. Mm-hmm. Which is just, there's a there's a particularly couple of things when I just went, oh, you know, yep. <laughs> and I don't want to say which ones they are. I think anybody picking up this book will get a pretty good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And usually there's there's the the bad guys, especially in a, in this kind of a book, there is a, a big force involved that makes things happen and like we said the bad guys don't necessarily understand what this big force is going to accomplish at certain times shall we yeah. say so um one of the colors that's dominant in this book is red which just yeah. tell you a little something about that which leads me to the colors i mean who who did the colors in this book simon goff brilliant brilliant colorist uh man he just every you know, it's amazing to see a book come together, but that's the the point at which it feels complete. You know, mm-hmm. like when you start to see, man, I 
the, I think I got a little weepy when I saw the last page of this issue finished where it takes a pretty a different color palette. Um, but, mm-hmm. man, just beautiful work he does. Because a lot of the stuff, like I said, red is a, is a dominant color. It's in there. Mm-hmm. The other colors tend to be more subtle in the color mm-hmm. palette. He do light greens, blue greens kind of stuff. There's the shirt that, that Barrel wears is, is white, but it's not a bright white. In other words, he's been wearing this for a while, clearly in his work. So it's not necessarily a, a, a bright white shirt that somebody would wear. And the other things that go around, the, the trees and stuff is going around, they're all pretty much subdued colors, which is good. But then we get to, I talked about this big force. The big force is, is I said there was a lot of red. There's a, there's a lot of red involved in the, so we say, the big force of things. And he invokes a lot there. It, it invokes, I, don't, I can't, don't want to imply a gender here, but it invokes a lot of red as it moves, including, <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't spoil it, but let's just say <laughs> I, I mentioned the bad guys don't know what's all going to happen. Yeah. And there's a particularly for me anyway, an enjoyable one where the bad guys don't know what's going to happen. So I, more than that, I'm not going to say, but <laughs> that that actually, I, that was the place I went, oh, and then I went, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. I, there's there's a, a couple satisfying little moments mm-hmm. tucked in there. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. It's, it's got a very, like I said, I, I love uh, uh, a fast-moving story because a lot of the times in comics, the word balloons take me a while to get through. Yeah, this I, I feel like I stayed out of the way in this one. Yeah, <laughs> I, let, yeah. I let everyone else do their jobs, and they made me look very good. There's some there's dialogue going on, and, and occasionally, and it, it's important to the story. Obviously, as we move forward, so the the good news is you didn't, you know, it, the word balloons don't dominate the panel, shall we say, all the yeah. time. They they appear sometimes, and like I said, it's important to read them when they happen. But a lot of the times, it's just. You know, it's action and adventure. Yeah. And actually, like I said, it's nice to read something like that for a change. Yeah, this this issue propels forward very quickly. It's a very fast read. And then, uh, like I said, the, the rest of the series revisits a lot of the moments from the first and sort of picks those apart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly drawn to, like, inner monologue. Um, I like to sort of get through it through context not that i have anything against it when it's well done it's just not necessarily my style for this book mm-hmm. um and i think that is part of why i stayed out of the way it would have been really easy to sort of you know get inside a barrow's head while all these awful things are happening mm-hmm. but i kind of just allowed that to happen through a series of grimaces that kevin put on his face but you know that that isn't that a challenge though for a writer i mean Spider-Man is forever throwing quips around and stuff like that. And, you know, that gives the writer something to do. You know, certain writers, and I could name names, but I won't, like big word balloons and like lots and lots of dialogue. There's the one issue of a Spider-Man where where Peter Parker tells Aunt May, and it takes him the whole issue that he's actually Spider-Man. And there's this dialogue going on endlessly. And it felt like to me anyway. And so... Your book doesn't approach it like that, thankfully. And uh, but as a as a writer, though, you don't feel cheated, you know, if you're not putting lots of words in. Because I, I, I just get the sense some writers do; they feel like they got to have a certain number of words on a page, or they're not doing their job. Feels like. Yeah, I, I mean, trust me, there was plenty of editing that went into it. Um, 
but at the end of the day, it became less is more. And how 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 little could I say and still tell the story that I wanted to get across? Because Barrow, at the end of the day, is he's, he's a man of few words. So mm-hmm. there's no reason for me to force that on the character mm-hmm. for my own ego. You know, uh, there's plenty of room for that in issues two and three when this loudmouth, you know, sort of boisterous witch shows up and you know really rattles the story a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and even so. A lot of times Barrow's dialogue and response will be a series of grunts or two-word answers because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you get that sense very quickly from when he's introduced to his job on the first couple of pages. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the pages I've already showed off, he it's almost threatening the way that he speaks to someone who just hired him mm-hmm. because he's so short, where they mention they're, you know, they're heading out and he, he says, Well, people aren't hard to track. And it's like, well, you're a guy with an awful lot of weapons, and they just paid you for a job, bud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I enjoyed, too, about the color of things was that when, let's say, when the trolls talk, the trolls tend to be like a green, lime green, well, not not lime, but more of a, a like a subdued green. Like a teal. Yeah, and, and when they talk, their word balloons are in something similar to that, which I find interesting. Of course, that, what that says is, is that their voice their voices tend to sound differently than a human would sound. Yeah. I, um, so Micah Myers does letters for this. He's phenomenal. He's done a handful of books with scout and, you know, numerous other things. I think he, his first book with image out recently. Yeah. Phenomenal guy. Great, great fella. Great letterer. Um, again, I trust my team to do what they think is going to suit the book. So, that wasn't necessarily a direction for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he just sort of picked out, well, these are a little more, you know, uh, bestial than the humans in the world. And he gave them, you know, the, the lettering is a little, a little different from when everyone else speaks. And there's a little tint to the word balloons. Mm-hmm. He does the same thing with um, some of the, you know, bigger forces you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And that becomes especially important later in the series as you sort of track you know, the path that those forces take. So Micah really helped clear things up in terms of a through line mm-hmm. of sort of tracking the, the villainous forces throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And you know who's saying what. Right, yeah. yeah. Very, very easily. Because sometimes if there's, well, not just, I, I always said there's not a lot of word balloons, but it is good to know specifically who's speaking. Because sometimes yeah. they're speaking off-panel, and when the the color of the word balloon is different, and kind of identifies who it is. Right. You know that that makes reading a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, and I think stylistically, it's just interesting too. You know, in a there there aren't a ton of characters in this issue, or even in this series, really. It it only ever really winds up with a handful of people introduced, and to make them all feel like they have their own voice in um, a sort of way that matches the aesthetic of the book, I think was a good call on his part. Mm-hmm. Now, what I like about Barrow is Barrow never smiles. No. He's always got a, a <laughs> grimace on his face. Yeah. You know, even when somebody is saying something that he agrees with or likes, it's still sort of, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a, he's a grumpy old, old fella. I, I will... I will you know, Wayne, you heard it here first. He does smile one time in the series. Oh, boy. So <laughs> I'll stand keep on up. reading for that smile. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
That'll be fun. That'll be something really interesting to see when that happens. Because yeah, yeah. First issue, uh, uh-uh. I, I no, guarantee no. it's it's not there. Not a one. <laughs> the, the, what's funny is is every once in a while he he does those little grunts or huhs or something like that about it. And but but the great thing about it is his character doesn't have to say more than that. When he says something like that, it's his emotion level doesn't vary too much in pitch. So when he says certain things, it means he's responding in a certain way. You know, if something yeah. kind of surprises him, he kind of goes, "Huh." You know? Yeah, and that's and that's that's just about as much as you get out of him, which I I think is. It's his way of interacting with the environment, and that's frequent. Like you said, that's what it is. When he has an idea or notices something interesting or even sees something horrifying, he, he doesn't seem particularly rattled, um, which I think is a testament to how much he's seen in his lifetime. It's intentional that he's been at this a long time um, and isn't particularly shocked by things that you know other characters he comes across would be. Um, he's sort of desensitized to it in a way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, we get around to picking apart why that's, you know, initially kind of you get a chuckle out of that response. And then you're like, well, this is actually kind of sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a little more tragedy to Barrow than issue one lets on. You get a little you get some peeks into that with some dialogue about him. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really get opened up until later in the series. Yeah, he's very much the kind of character that. The people around him do a lot of the talking. Yeah. Definitely. Which is it's fun because it, it, it's like when Batman, when Batman, when they did Batman the Animated Series and they went over from Fox to Kids WB, they specifically decided Batman was not going to say very much. Mm-hmm. And so when he spoke, it was important. And that's kind of the way he does. When he says something, there is sometimes there's a pause and he's getting to something important to say. And you get to understand the character through that a lot. And I think that's really, really good about that because it's easy to write lots of words, in my opinion, to, to yeah. Yeah. pare this down to where he's just, you know, he is saying only certain things and that's pretty much all he's going to say. Using that vocabulary effectively is, I think, a lot harder than big word balloons. So I think you did a really good job on that and, and keeping it minimized and still effective. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely a through line for Barrow, uh, you know, even as he, you know, acquires some strange traveling companions through the course of the series, he, he, there's no wavering with his personality. He's very much that sort of a- almost reserved, you know, gruff individual, no matter how much people are talking at him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, the cover makes me smile on some levels. There he is standing there with with his implements kind of dripping with blood, and around him are butterflies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm looking, going like, that's interesting. The butterflies are kind of like, eh, this happens all the time. Yeah, and you'll find the butterflies in every issue. That's always oh, yeah. a through line. Yeah. One of Simon's favorite parts, actually. He, he loved finding them in the yard. You know, throwing <laughs> little splashes of color. I mean, you talk about how it's it is sort of a drab color palette and intentionally so because it's a world that should feel lived in like much the way people talk about the, the set dressings in star Wars. It should feel like this is a world that's 
you know, worn down. So those splashes of things like red and there's a there's a beautiful panel where the sun sets and mm-hmm. you get all these sudden purples and that initiates a real shift in tone for the issue. But yeah, there's little things like these bright blue butterflies that sort of dot the backgrounds. They're just these interesting little notes. I again, it's a pretty it's a very graphic sort of intense issue, mm-hmm. but I I don't like worlds that are grim at no point did i want this book to feel heavy even Mm. though such you know violent things are taking place it should still feel like a fantasy world that people are like having fun with well see it's it's a contrast in some levels you know you've got all this stuff going on there's movement and action and, and and in the meantime the background is none of that it's very stable it's yeah you know very uh, you know very kind of average on some levels the trees look pretty average and there's yeah. there's little things growing on them and stuff like that and even you know what, what barrel wears is kind of average stuff mm-hmm. yeah but but there's this unaverage stuff happening around all this average thing yeah. and that's what makes it kind of stand out you know it, it it pops out more because you've got the the real you know sort of dullish colors and contrast that to what the stuff is happening around in that environment and it really makes it pop out of the page i think and that's the kind of stuff that i find entertaining is i like these sort of i don't want to say average but it's a very you know it is what it is in this world you know this is another day in this bizarro you know sword and sorcery landscape and i think it's it's fun to juxtapose this sort of another day at the office approach to monster hunting. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's a kind of a autumn or fall yeah. feel to it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, one of the things, it's one of my least favorite seasons is autumn because what's coming next is going to be winter. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of like, Oh gosh, and I know what's coming next. And you get that sense from this too. And that this is starting to get darker and it's starting to turn in a colder and, 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 uh, less friendly way, let's say, than than summer is. Yeah, I I think that folks will be surprised to take see the pivots that it takes later on, <laughs> because it it sort of issue one ends on sort of a I don't want to say a, a disheartening note, but it the series becomes if anything more fun mm. from there. Well, um, it's a big surprising note. That happens, and I, I'm not going to talk what it is because it's a big surprise when it happens. I'm like, oh, you know, it's yeah, it's an uh oh yeah. moment. So I'm like, Ooh. and uh, I think what's especially fun is we don't get back to that uh oh moment right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're you're left to linger, knowing that that happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now there's a couple of things I'm curious about. Sure. And if, if this is if it's going to spoil stuff, don't just tell me, and we won't we won't worry about it anymore. Sure, of course. There are on a couple of trees a symbol. Yes. Is that is that Barrow's symbol? Uh, is, is it something that that's going to be revealed later in the story that we shouldn't know right now? So yeah, it's actually on the cover of the book too. It's yeah. on that right behind Barrow. Um, mm-hmm. That is admittedly um, Kevin and I did a, a lot of poking around and getting these sort of demonic sigils from different sources we could find. And we settled on that one. And we decided that, again, we talked about this sort of bumbling doomsday cult. 
And I like the idea of them almost like teenagers scratching pentagrams into their binders. They have just defaced the forest with this. Oh, so it's like so and so likes so and so kind of thing as far as they're concerned. Yep, yep. except so and so likes, you know, demons. Yeah. <laughs> it's them identifying that they've been there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get and it, it is a through line. You'll, you'll see it crop up a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, these bumbling cultists are in some ways more successful than they realized at doing what they do. Um, so yeah, it, it does remain a through line, but yeah, it's, it, it was again, one of those things that we just thought, well, you know, I, I, I there's, it's the fantasy equivalent of graffiti to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's their human making a mark. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, another question I've got, and I'm always interested in why things are the way they are. The character's name is Barrow. We've got mm-hmm. other things going on. Why is it called Grit? I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one just being sort of, um, it, it's a, it's kind of a buzzword right now, actually, which is an unintentional use but grit i would say is the sort of mental fortitude that barrow has to keep doing what he does Hmm. um that scowl is not entirely because he's a grumpy fella but he's been sort of subject to this violence and in some ways of his own choice but he you know that would have to take a toll on an individual and it certainly has and for him to feel this sort of obligation to keep at you know, his view on protecting folks, mm-hmm. albeit for pay, um, it, it requires a certain level of mental fortitude, I think is the best way to put it. But also there's just, in some ways, this is my, you know, wacky fantasy Western in <laughs> terms of world building. And, mm-hmm. you know, the word grit is for any number of reasons associated with that genre. So it plays into that as well. But also just stylistically, I think that the word grit aesthetically fits this world. You've talked about the sort of drab lived in color palette and mm-hmm. Kev- Kevin's kind of, you know, blurry, sort of scratchy style sometimes. And I think that if there's one word that sort of works for the book, mm-hmm. grit is it. Mm, okay, because I talked about the color red, and when you look at the 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 title of the book it looks like somebody took blood and with their finger wrote the word grit yep and that that very well may be what micah did when he put that <laughs> title together for all i know uh, yeah because i i know that he he had some fun with that one but yeah i know it feels very much like someone smeared it on the cover of the book yeah it doesn't look to me like you know, it doesn't look designed so much to me as it was put there Yep. by somebody well of course you never know could be barrow put it there as far yeah. as we know <laughs> that could be his handwriting on there as far as we know because <laughs> it's just a it's a fascinating way to do that because you know i'm used to logos and things on comics to be bright and bold and fun and stuff and here's this handwriting in blood on the top of this book you know, like I said, the, the the first panel gives us an idea of what the, the tone of the book is going to be. Well, even the cover gives us hints towards yep. that. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun like that. Now, you got three issues, and of course, the, the first one's coming out in May. It's it's going to be monthly. Yeah. Yeah. After that, so okay, good. And that uh, are you going to collect it after it's done? We will collect it, and there's some interesting stuff going on with that. Uh, we'll 
So the trade paperback will have three additional short stories set in this world with three other artists, um, mm. Simon Kirks, Dylan Snook, and Tayshawn Dwyer, who I've, I've done work with in you know various stages in the past. But um, yeah, they're contributing three short stories. And um, yeah, each, each of them sort of feeds off of something that's hinted at in, um, in the story. So I, I'm happy to talk about the one I did with Simon, mm-hmm. where there's mention of one of Barrow's previous jobs mm-hmm. and um, with a revenant in a wine cellar. So Simon and I took four pages and explored what does that look like? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we, it was a fun little way to flesh out the world a little bit. So you wrote these stories, basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they're good. so they they're all in the grit universe or the gritiverse, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, the gritiverse. <laughs> all that stuff. So that so getting the trade is going to be a continuation of of, of what we've got. Yeah, it's almost like the footnotes for the main series. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, of course, I got to ask now. You've got these other little stories. Is there a grit two in your mind that you might want to explore after this gets done? I think there's certainly places the story could go. Um, I don't want to say too much about how this one ends, but I think that we've done enough sort of open-ended world building where we could push it in a couple different directions. I think that people will really like some of the characters we introduced in those short stories because they're sort of charming different corners of this very sort of bleak world. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't lean heavily into sort of grim, dark fantasy as much as this is a sort of violent action story at the start, it becomes a more, you know, introspective sort of satire of itself. It's very self-aware the, the mm-hmm. deeper you get into the story. You see the humor in all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. That's a good you thing. You see the, the humor and sort of the absurdity of <laughs> this sort of hero worship of the guy with the sword. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny because comics live and die on action and motion and movement because visually that's an interesting thing and yet real life if i was just like to say i hate to keep using star trek terminology but it's true i i loved the deep space nine show and there was action and there was danger but if if i had to choose i would rather live on the enterprise because it was a largely a safe environment oh yeah i know and I, I don't want to be you know fighting shapeshifters and I, I wouldn't last uh, a second in this world. <laughs> yeah, but I love that world. I mean, I love to see stories about it. But I, if I had to choose, I'd yeah. live on the Enterprise because I always thought it was just non-threatening. You know, everybody walks around very happy, doing their jobs. They're not even getting paid. They love their <laughs> work so much. And this is the very opposite of that. You know, he's doing what he wants. Now he gets paid, of course, for it. Yeah, but. He does enjoy his work, but let's <laughs> see. I always like people who don't follow the norm. You know, if he's enjoying himself, you mentioned he's going to smile one time, but he's still enjoying himself, and you get that from what he's doing, even though he's got a scowl on his face most of the time, because that's just the way he is. I don't uh, know that he enjoys it so much as he, you know, he's he's never done anything else. Hmm. So I think maybe there's some satisfaction in a job well done, mm-hmm. but I, I think to him it's very much work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's I, I, again out of context. The first issue is sort of intentionally set up to to put this this hero on a pedestal, and then I would spend two more issues kind of tearing down that that um, that portrait hmm. or exploring. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to say tearing down because he's he's still very much a central figure, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Again, I don't like the heavy-handed approach to well, he's actually the villain. That's certainly not the case. I think it's just more complicated than you know this guy bad, this guy good. See, you, you've touched on something I always find interesting. Some people think that the most interesting people in the world are the ones who talk a lot. But in my life, I've always found if I am around someone that doesn't talk that much, and of course, I wouldn't be able to do a podcast with people who didn't want to talk that much. But again, this is one of those things where real life, different from what we want to do in different circumstances, I find people that don't speak very much, there's there's a deepness to their characters and to the way they do things that if you can explore it a little bit or even ask the right questions, you might get to understand better. Oh yeah. yeah. So this is this is me and asking questions. I love to ask people questions because you get an idea a little bit more about this why we do the podcast is so people can get a little bit more hopefully out of the comic when they get to read it. Oh absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm kind of with that. So this I really looking forward to I love the first issue. I gotta highly recommend it. If you like something like I always talk about variety and how important that is to me, this book is great for variety's sake if nothing else i mean some people are going to like the 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 action and the adventure and the violence going on in a lot for me it's because it was something i don't read very much that's what drew me to it you know and like i said the character who's not verbose and that that makes me intrigued as to what's really going on in there so i there's a level beneath this that i'm really drawn to i i know it's there and I imagine when you introduce the other character in the next two issues that we're going to get to explore that level that's obviously there more. Yeah. Uh, so issue two takes a sort of interesting – issue two is a little like you know bungee jumping where it kind of it, – it starts on a lighter note and then it dives into what I would say is the, the book's most somber couple of sequences mm-hmm. and then pulls you right back out into this sort of over-the-top fantasy again. Um, it's a – you know, I, I'm proud of the series as a whole, but I think issue two does a lot of interesting things to, again, Barrow is a, a man of few words, but yeah. I think that, again, the way that he interacts with his environment will speak volumes to his character. Hmm. Yeah. So pay attention. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's thrust into some situations in which you really do get a sense of how tired he is. And hmm. I think that's where the sort of meat of his character, you know, he, he, he's a less impressive figure than I set him up as. Hmm. See, I don't know if I buy that. I, 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 like I said, sometimes when there's the depth that they don't necessarily make visible right off the bat, I always find that more intriguing than say somebody who is, you know, constantly telling jokes. And so I don't find Spider-Man very interesting at all. I yeah. have to say, <laughs> I mean, he's just—he's just a jokester, and you know, uh, you know, he's friendly and he's nice and stuff. But sometimes, if you can find somebody like Barrow who is less outgoing, and when you get through that upper layer, there's actually a lot more depth in there. Yeah. Than that. And that—that's what, like I said, it just draws me to the character naturally. I'm just kind of like, I want to know what what is really going on in there. I think you'll be—I think you'll be pleased to see <laughs> the 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 gauntlet that we run him through. Mm, good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So it's going to start in May, and that means it'll go May, June, July. Yep. Uh, do you have any idea when the trade's going to hit? Shortly after, but not set in stone. Yeah, it won't okay. be a long 
so this would be a good thing for uh, this book again is is a Halloween type book to me. Okay. If the trade trade comes out around Halloween, that would be an ideal time for that. Yeah. I think that yeah, don't fun. don't give it to kids. Don't give it to kids. No, no. no that, <laughs> let's just let's just say like right away we've got blood written logo yeah. on the top. No, and there are lots, certain lots of fun, but also lots of blood. <laughs> yeah, and also certain four letter words appear yep. along along the way. A handful, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to, we want kids getting into that too much. No, but no. Uh, as far as th- this is definitely a more adult, yeah, absolutely d- discerning audience for this group. And, and but it's just a it was fun to read, and like I said, it, it intrigues me. It makes me want more, and that's why I'm really looking forward to two and three. Now I know there's more stories coming in the trade. I'm gonna have to be after the trade too because I want to see what else you've got in mind. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was an interesting way to, and like I said, each of these issues feels very tonally different, but I, I wanted to sort of explore, you know, almost different genres within it in a really short format, which I think is an interesting way to take advantage of a sort of sprawling fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Now, I always have to ask, Beryl and the other characters that are in there, are they your imagination being brought to light? Are they based on people you know? How did you come up with the characters and who they are? Sure. So Barrow falls into my absolute favorite trope in comics and maybe even, you know, fiction as a whole. Uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with Melville and Moby Dick, and I do very much see Barrow as this sort of Ahab figure where he's chasing something that may or may not be there. (laughs) And I, I love characters like Hellboy who have this sort of you know, they do the job because they have to do the job, even though they know it's, it's, you know, there's something bad at the end of the day. This mm-hmm. sort of feeling obligated to stick with a sort of grueling lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Barrow is just sort of born of my wanting to explore that trope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, I just, I love every character who's sort of on this Im- impossible quest for something and they may not even necessarily know what they're questing for. Mm-hmm. They just know they need to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the name of the witch who shows up in issue two, and she's a central figure. You'll see her on some covers and previews shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Ari. And I wanted to come up with a foil for Barrow because he is this sort of, you know, desensitized to violence and, you know, a man of few words, like I've said a couple of times, and Ari is very much this sort of. Again, I've, I think I've referred to her as an aggressive pacifist in that she's she is very very serious about pushing her belief that we shouldn't be solving problems through acts of violence like this, especially the sort of gratuitous violence that we see early on in, in Grit, um, and she mm-hmm. does that with more humor. It, well, I mean, not intentional humor, but the way that she comes across and the way that she interacts with the world as someone who has this interesting magical prowess. I, there are a lot of scenes, and I haven't been shy about this, where mm-hmm. Ari and birds make fun of Barrow. And it's <laughs> there have been some of my favorite scenes to write where he does something that she disagrees with, so she talks trash with a crow who happens to be flying by. Mm. Um, interesting. Yeah. That's so I think it was... Uh, just creating a good foil who I thought would be fun for the story. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is that 
Another thing that always drives me nuts about comics is that, like, when mutants get their powers, they turn into male models <laughs> and female models. And I have to say that Ari and Barrow are not models. <laughs> no, no, they're not. That's how we say. And, and to, but to me, that, that that's interesting to me. One of the things I always notice about British television, for example, they don't want the best looking. And they, they've freely said that in public. Yeah. The actors, they want them for their acting ability, not necessarily for their good looks. Yeah. That's different in America. Here in America, we kind of want people that look good on the television. You know, that right. That's want. that's that's why we took Henry Cavill from all the British shows. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> but, but so your characters are, you know, you're talking about kind of blue collar kind of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they're not necessarily going to be. They're not going to worry about their looks quite as much as as other people might. No. No. I mean, we're in, we're introduced to in the first couple of pages. You know, a, a farmer and a monster hunter, and there's no reason for either of them to look like supermodels because mm-hmm. you know they're working folk. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, I like that. See, but see, that's different. See, I, I'm so used to you know Bruce Wayne looks the yeah. chiseled look to the face, and you know Clark Kent, even when he's Clark Kent, looks like you know he's this great big hulking guy. You know, even though he's got glasses on and stuff. Everybody in Wonder Woman looks great. I would have loved it if she hadn't looked quite so beautiful. Mm. I don't know. See, that would have been, de- but that would be a whole different story. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That. She wouldn't yeah, have wonder. Barrow sort of is built the way I like my Wolverine to be built. He's sort mm. of a short, wide fella. Mm. Yeah, I, I, that, I've always, I don't know. I, again, it's, it's. I wanted this world to feel like these people have lived, mm-hmm. <laughs> and not that they've just you know, stepped out from behind the mirror, grooming themselves. Yes. Well, you know, for, honestly, like I said, Variety, that that's, for me, that's great fun to read. And that's why, one of the reasons I think this is going to be a fun book, i, I got to be sure to make sure I, I get these, because they're going to be enjoyable reads, and vi- not only the story's going to be interesting, but the visuals are going to be great fun as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, you'll even see over the course of the covers, the sort of, we've done some interesting things with shifting the color palettes around. It's a very fun book to look at, and it just gets more fun to look at as it goes. Well, great. So it's called Grit, G-R-I-T, and you want to make sure that you let your store know because the, the, the deadline's coming up. March 18th, I think, is the deadline yep. Yep. we were talking about. So we got to make sure we get the orders in before that. Uh, you don't want to take chances after that. You, you may be less likely to get it. So you got to make sure you let your store know because a lot of stores don't carry everything, and so you've got to be able to get your, your your name in there to say, I want this book. And I would say, I would recommend if you're looking for something different and fun and adventurous and really something that's going to be a, a, a variety, add variety to your reading, I would say get grit because it's great stuff. It's going to be nice and different and, and enjoyable, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you if you like the sort of classic pulp heroes like your Conan or your Fritz Leiber, you know, uh, Fatford and Grey Mouser, if you like that stuff, if you like Hellboy, things like the Goon, modern pulpy comics, I would, I would say it's sort of pulp adventure with with a heart. Mm-hmm. Which is a great fun. Now, the other book that you gave me a chance to read, and I, first thing I got to ask is, do, is that the whole story you sent me, or is that part of it? That is the whole story. Okay, because that that, you know, <laughs> part of me didn't want that to be true. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> get a lot of that. 
<laughs> it's called Big White. Now, tell me the story. Is this uh, how do you get this book? Because it looks like it was printed in 2018. Was this self-published? It was. This was my this is my first comic. Um, this was it's a 12 page short story I did with artist Vlad Legostiev and um, uh, Rachel Deering did letters for this. Uh, another phenomenal phenomenal letter. And Vlad is wonderful. Real real. Uh, distinct style that he brings to the table. Um, but yeah, it was a self-published book. I did a very small print run. There's a handful of those floating around, but otherwise I just published it online for free um, just to sort of get it out in the world. This was my test run of comics. It's interesting because this is a more diverse, shall we say, uh, group of characters. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, and I, I always say it, it it's, you know, you talked about world building, and I think that's really important because it's easy to drop somebody in the middle of New York or Metropolis or whatever you want to do, yeah. and and you, you all that's set up for you. But when you actually build the world the way you want, you know, it's just something. It's a little different, and you know, this world is entirely different from um, from grit. Yeah, very very much so. Yeah, this is a much more technologically oriented. Uh, things is going on and you're set in a it's called big white for a good reason because it's set in the middle is this do you identify north or south pole uh so this is actually and um i've mentioned the name a couple times i'm a huge fan of fritz Leiber's writing mm-hmm. and this was inspired by a short story called a pail full of air so it's a sort of nondescript city intentionally because it could be just about anywhere but it's about a group of people who have learned to live underground after this sort of um, unnatural snow has blanketed mm-hmm. and continues to blanket their world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's intentionally left sort of – I mean there's a, there's a lot of nebulous stuff in this story as as evidenced by your disappointment with the end of it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of open-ended stuff in this one. Because, you know, well, you know, and I can't spoil the ending, but let's just say – Something bad happens, and then people start to come back together again, and we know things aren't the way they were when he left. Right. Shall, shall we say? Or and, would that be? Who's huh? to say? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a fascinating story because I, I – well, I was glad that – well, you do have – you know, a lot of different kinds of people in, involved with it, which just yeah. makes it good. And uh, you have a thing for monsters, I'm coming to figure I, out. I certainly do. Um, yeah, I mean, Big White's been out in the world for a couple of years now, so I'm, I'm not shy about talking about that. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I really liked this idea of sort of pushing an everyman into this terrifying situation where he's sort of, heard the rumors about the terrible things in the snow, but he's at the end of the day, he's a tow truck driver. He has mm-hmm. to go get the truck that stalled out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I had a lot of fun just sort of putting, putting things I liked together. Again, this is, this was kind of my test run at creating comics and I'm really happy with the end result. I've mm-hmm. created a, a frustrating little story <laughs> to be sure. Um, and, and again, that was a little intentional because, I wanted the end to feel a bit like a Twilight Zone episode where mm-hmm. you go, okay, well, did he come out of this okay? Did he not come out of this okay? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen with his family, et cetera, et cetera? You're, you're getting our imagination involved. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're doing, so that's good. Because now, see, t- the, yeah, see that, it, some stories 
don't leave much to the imagination. You know, it ends in a certain way. Everything wraps up in a nice little bow, and everything's cleared up. This story does not end up that way. It does not. <laughs> if you need a conclusion, just go ahead and pass on this one, because I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> well, we develop our own conclusion. That's that's so true, and I. it's been interesting to talk to folks about it. Um, the, the, the fine folks over at Scout, once they got their hands on this, were sort of like, and then? And I said, well, you have to write it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I am see I, I, I know what I think is going to happen and I don't want that to happen <laughs> so, so I'm, I, I'm hoping is there more to this that uh, you know, I, but you know some of the best stories leave you guessing leave you wondering so that that's what this is really good at if you want a story that's going to engage the imagination I think this is a really really good one how do people get a hold of this I mean you made it available to me but yeah yeah um, so my website is just brianwickman.com it's available as a free PDF download on there uh, there's like I said I've got a couple of them left if anybody wants to buy it um, there's a store link on the website with just a handful of those floating around and otherwise they're going to come with me to conventions at some point okay well you need to the very next question uh, do you have any convention appearances scheduled for this year nothing scheduled this year uh, i'm going to be floating around uh, new york and baltimore so you could probably catch me around the scout table mm-hmm. slinging grit okay that'll be good it's good it's great that this is coming out to scout because i think scout has some of the most creative stuff out there these days yeah yeah i i got you know, I caught Window Scout through uh, Long Lost a couple of years back. Ah. I read that book, and I immediately thought, "Well, I like, would like to get involved." And I, uh, I pitched some things their way, and you know, wound well, up with grit coming out. Very good. Well, of course, that you might have others coming as time goes along. Yeah, yeah, I've got a I've got a handful of pitches cooking in the oven right now. All right, well, that's good. Well, the good thing about a writer is is that I, I, my favorite thing is when they say, "Well, I can't talk about it." That means <laughs> something is percolating, and that usually means to me, I, "There's good news coming, but we can't do it right now." Yeah, I've well. got two or three can't talk about it right now. <laughs> oh, good. Well, that's, see, that's good stuff. I mean, yep. that 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 means that there, we have something to look forward to, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. So we hope so. So that's good stuff. Well, not, I, I need to find out, too, if people want to follow you on social media. How do they do that? Yeah, uh, it's at BM Wickman just about everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram. Yep, you can find me either of those, BM Wickman. Facebook? Uh, no real page on Facebook. Um, I should get around to that. Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm a Facebook guy. That's why yeah. I ask Facebook. Yeah. I have to always ask. I'll get that running. Because it's for me, that's the, the it makes more sense. I, I I put stuff out on every social media platform when I'm advertising an, an episode. I, I put yeah. every platform I can figure out, and there's several I haven't been able. I don't understand what TikTok is. I have the freaking clue. <laughs> yeah, me, me either. Do, don't worry about that one. <laughs> I can't figure out how to do that. I, I've looked at it and tried to poke at it, and I've gone like, I don't get this thing. I don't know how this works. So. I, everything else I can figure out, I've, I've done. Even stuff I never go to except to advertise, I, I put stuff yeah. out there. <laughs> Just trying to get things. Well, that's good. Well, Brian, you're doing good stuff. and man, Very challenging. I love something that makes me think. You know, I just, gosh, it's, there's so little of that. I... You know, the, some of the comics I read are just, you know, running in place. You know, you, you start yeah. out someplace, you got to end up back there again. Batman has to end up where he started so that <laughs> somebody else can pick him up and do him along the way. But your stuff, I don't know what you're going to do, and that's half the fun. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I Like I said, I like to – I'm not one to flip genres on their heads, but I like to subvert expectations a little bit and sort of push these ideas that 
our sort of well-worn territory in, in fun new directions. Yeah. I'm not reinventing the wheel, but I'm trying to make a fun wheel. <laughs> well, you're trying to go where some wheels haven't gone before. Yeah, yeah. This is a good thing. See, I, I need that. I have read comics for many decades, and many times I can pick up a book and I can tell you, okay, this is going to go this way, and this is going to be yeah. – there's nothing more disappointing when I get to the last page and I was right. Well, I, I, I can – yeah, you'll have some twists and turns and grit. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. See, that, oh. that that's going to be fun for me because I love to be surprised. We'll have to, we'll, we'll have to check in post-issue three. Okay, well, that'd be good. I'd like to do that. Maybe we'll have to do. Maybe when something else comes out, we can yeah. uh, we can talk about it. and We'll we'll do a retrospect back on it. See, <laughs> Sounds great. As well as part. Of it. Well, you know, Brian, keep it up. I have to say, I really like what you're doing. I really enjoy it. I, I highly recommend it. Grit again is the thing from Scout Comics. Be sure to let your store know before the 18th, so that you can make sure you're going to get the, the start off with the beginning because that's gonna the this is going to be a story. I'm sure you're going to want all three issues, so you get the most out of it. So well, just keep it up, Brian. And man, I can't wait to see more of your stuff as it comes out. And I hope I get to talk with you again because I think this is good stuff. It's, I love to be challenged. I love to, to like the, the old Star Trek thing, go where where I haven't been yeah. before. <laughs> well, I thanks, Wayne. I appreciate it. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man. Flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe news, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's it for this week. Be sure to be back next week for special episode 425. But until then, keep reading your comics.